0: Here we go, tuna on toast, episode number one of 2022 is brought to you by Hamer Toyota. Out there in Mission Hills in Southern California, Johnny, the general sales manager, is becoming very, very popular on my Instagram because of all the posts that I've been doing, but he ghosted me. I have not heard from him. He may be very angry with me because I said that Hamer Toyota was much greater than the LaRusso Auto Group. Daniel LaRusso is nothing compared to Johnny Unin from Hamer Toyota and if you don't know LaRusso Auto Group is a fictional car dealership from the incredible tv series called Cobra Kai on Netflix I love the folks at Hamer Toyota and I'm not saying go sell or trade in your car right now or maybe you need to lease or buy a car truck SUV crossover this second but when you're thinking of doing it here in 2022 or even 2023, support the company that supports this podcast, and they are Hamer Toyota. Okay, H A M E R HamerToyota.com. Your name is Stryker. Yes, it is. That's fire! <laughs> wow. I love sandwiches. It's called tuna on toast. I I I spit. I don't know what I'm doing. I love music, and I love those that create it. Let me just tell you straight away that this episode with Tim McElrath from Rise Against is one of, if not my favorite podcasts that I've done so far. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for listening. Uh, If this is your first time, welcome. There's a lot of great episodes. You can go back and listen or watch. Go to the YouTube channel, which is Tune On Toast with Stryker. Uh, I'm easy to find on Instagram and Twitter, Ted Stryker, Tune On Toast, blah, 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 blah. There's a lot of great episodes. But thank you. If you are someone that has come back week after week after week and helped spread the word, this is an independent, as of now, as of now, a totally independent operation. The only way people find out about this show is through my dumb social media, which I hate self-promoting. It's very uncomfortable. And it's you. You telling your friends, you going on message boards, you're retweeting, you're talking about parts of the interview from Tom DeLong, Tom Morello, Mike Shinoda, Bishop Briggs, Davey Havoc, M. Shadows, Brett Gerwitz, Lars Frederick, whoever it is. Thank you so much for spreading the word. Before Tim joins us, and by the way, let me quickly about Tim from Rise Against. What a combination of traits Tim has. He's so smart. He is not even remotely afraid to use his voice and speak his mind and take a stand. But he is also, he's charming and funny and fun with a great laugh. You put those together and that's how you become a superstar. I mean, and it's unforced. It is, it's is—it's unrehearsed and it's unforced and he never compromises his art. And I really, really admire Tim. Tim McElrath. That's how I say his last name Tim McElrath. What kind of roller coaster ride did you have over the holidays? Because, man, for my wife and I, it was a roller coaster of emotions and a roller coaster of a ride physically and mentally, which I'm gonna share with you here. And I know 99% of people have it way worse, but this is our own experience. I was exposed to COVID. I have not had COVID to this point. Uh, As far as I know, I have not had COVID. I've been tested probably 13 or 14 times. But on December 23rd, as everybody you knew and I knew was testing positive, I was exposed. And I don't mean I had a one-minute conversation with somebody that that had COVID. I was with somebody for five hours that had COVID. They didn't know they had COVID that day. They tested positive the next day. So he sends me a text on December 24th. He's like, Stryker, I just tested positive for (laughs) COVID. You better go get checked out, man. So I'm thinking, oh, God, maybe I'm the one that gave it to him. I'm asymptomatic, and I don't know, and now this guy's sick. But then I was also thinking, if I was with him on the 23rd, would he already have gotten sick and tested positive in one day? So I went on the 24th, uh, Christmas Eve, at 5 p.m., and I got tested, and I got the results at 6.30 p.m., and I came back negative. Okay, well, that's fine, but I thought there is no chance that I'm not going to get sick. So what happens on December 26th? I start feeling like crap. What happens on December 27th? My wife starts not feeling very good. I'm feeling worse than her. Then on December 29th, she... Is not feeling good at all. I'm not feeling good. I'm like, babe, we're both going to get tested together at the same time. And I'm sure we're positive. And listen, we're going to both be positive. We're going to snuggle in bed. We're going to watch Cobra Kai. We're going to enjoy life. Just enjoy, not enjoy life. We're going to be sick. But let's just get through this together. So we both go for the test. And we thought we we're going to get our results. In somewhere between one and five hours. You're like, you're going to get your results in 36 hours. Anyway, let's cut to the chase. We got the results of it on New Year's Eve on the 31st. And both of us came back negative. And I'm, not, I'm still feeling good. But how was I with somebody for almost five hours, five inches, six inches from their face, 6 hours and I didn't get covid. I don't know how that's even possible. But so luckily we're doing good now. I'm feeling good. Katie's feeling good. Maybe we just had the flu. I don't think it was a men- it was not a mental thing cuz I'm someone that doesn't take naps. I was falling asleep on the damn couch for like 20 minutes at a time with a really bad sore throat and a headache. So we're negative I hope you had a wonderful uh, holidays. Let's get to it, everybody. This is a really, really fun episode. I've been yapping way too much before we bring in. uh, Tim from Rise Against. These guys just released, well, it was in June of 2021, their ninth full-length studio album, and it rules. It's called Nowhere Generation. Please welcome the front man from Rise Against. Here he is, the one and only, Tim McElrath. There I am, and it's almost time. Oh, there he is! Oh, there he is. All right, starting it right now. Connecting. Striker. Tim. Buddy. Wow. You got the great setup. Do I? Is it okay? Oh my God. All right, good. How are you, Tim? I'm good, man. I haven't seen you in a long time. I know. And uh there's about somewhere between eight and ten artists slash bands mm-hmm. who I adore as uh, musicians and people who I have not had any face-to-face contact with the last three years. And of Gosh. course, you're on that list. So even though this is through Zoom, I feel like I'm right there with you. I know this has become the new normal, right? <laughs> <sighs> it has. Uh, what's been pretty cool here, though, and I want to tell you straight away, Tuna on Toast mm-hmm. My Show has nothing to do with the food. I don't care (laughs) Uh, Davey Havoc was on we called it avocado on toast that day ah right okay that's good this is a (laughs) reference to a Seinfeld episode where nothing goes right for George when he orders tuna on toast so I hope that things go okay for me with this Dumb podcast, I do. <laughs> I can't see how it could not. So It'll be great. Thanks, man. Yeah. Can uh, you
1: see me and hear me and everything? It's all right. Oh, it's, it's perfect. Good. Okay. Actually, I let me just, just sure. let me
0: check the levels coming in just to triple. Yeah, I can confirm. turn myself up a
1: little bit too if you need to or
0: test, 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 test. Okay, good, good. Yeah. I'm always
1: so relieved and everything works and there's no delay and all those fun things, you know? Yeah.
0: <laughs> hey, do you like, and we're recording already and everything. Do you, do you enjoy doing the zooms, or would you rather be face to face with human beings? I
1: guess, like, I'd rather be face to face with human beings. Um, but it is amazing how much I can get done, like, just from right here, you know, without having to fly me somewhere and then put me in a hotel and a car and take me around <laughs> to radio stations. It's like that seems like a really that that all seems so elaborate now, <laughs> you know.
0: This is way easier. But Tim, what are you going to do when hopefully? there will be some face-to-face stuff and you're on the road and you're in who, it could be LA, it could be New York, it could be Chicago where you got Mm. super talent and there's talent everywhere, but maybe you're in a part of the United States where it's a brand new host and you need to go see them. Um, are you going to be like, Oh crap. Uh, I I just (laughs) let me do zoom from my Marriott. (laughs) No, hopefully I'll never be that guy. (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah because i do i do i like people i like being out you know what i mean i like traveling you know what i mean like i i, I do it's all and, it's, and i've become so such a part of my routine you know what i mean yeah like like you are part of like my road family like you're a guy that i see like like at least once a year usually you know what i mean like right. a show or something like that so it's like i can count on oh i'm gonna see striker probably there'd be no reason why i wouldn't see striker at some point this year and all of a sudden covid happens and it's like oh i took that for granted that i saw striker every year you know
0: it's amazing how much travel plays a role in the infrastructure of my life you know and as we sit here looking at each other and having this conversation this Mm. is is this a studio that you're sitting in in illinois i don't need the address but this is in illinois (laughs) and this is where you have where write songs or record any songs I'm in the room next door to you, actually. I live next door with the neighbors for a while.
1: <laughs> I think you, it's time to cut your lawn, by the way. It's getting a little out of control. Um, no, yeah, I'm in Chicago. This is uh, a studio. It's not not a home studio. I have, like, a place that I can kind of get out, which came in handy during COVID. <laughs> it was, like, when we couldn't go anywhere. At least I had a place to, uh, to kind of run and hide and, and keep doing what I do. And then it's turned into, like, this, like, Zoom calls. Like, I didn't anticipate my life like evolving into a place where I was doing a lot of this. And so
0: it became a good place to kind of check into the office and turn the computer on and talk to people. As someone who has had some conversations that I record for audio and visual, I cannot mm. tell you how much I appreciate that you have a mic and you're using, <laughs> uh, it's plugged into that. However you're doing it, it sounds so good. There's some people, they have their computer 20 feet away and they're screaming right. at their at their Mac. Hey, yeah, what's up? And it sounds terrible. <laughs>
1: I know. I can't claim credit for all of it because i'm like I, I feel like um at some point i started doing this and i did plenty of crappy ones like you said or like it looked bad i couldn't hear me whatever and i finally called uh our studio the blast room in colorado and i was like well you guys help me <laughs> like i'm i'm <laughs> such like a luddite like i don't i have never done a lot of tech stuff it's just usually me and a guitar and a voice memo mm. and so i feel like this covid thing has accelerated my my tech skills, so at least I sort of know how to turn things on as long as you don't mess with it too much. So. Yeah,
0: yeah. I feel the exact same way about my much smaller bubble than you out here. I was right. thinking about uh, you and your band and the unraveling. That's 20 mother effing years ago. Have Do you think about that or is that not, has that been anything you've chatted about or
1: thought about? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Our band has never been like a big like anniversary kind of band, you know, never really cared about that stuff too much but the unraveling was the first time you know something that we had done hit 20 years like this whole endeavor of rise against you know hit 20 years and it and obviously it happened in 2020 so at a crazy time of everybody's life and for me it turned into kind of like a reflective time of life you know especially in the scariest moments of COVID we were like will we ever do this again you know is everything we've done already in our past and so in those moments you know, I felt pretty grateful that we got to do what we did, you know, and thinking, wow, what a crazy journey that we had. And then all of a sudden like 2020 hit and, and, you know, we're getting reminding each other, Hey, you realize it's been 20 years since our first show or 20 years since our first record. It's, it's really crazy. Cause the four kids that started that band 20 years ago, like certainly did not anticipate like still, or at least I didn't anticipate still being here doing
0: this and it's snowballing Mm. into what it is. Well, a couple questions based on that statement first for me, I think the reason maybe Rise Against should not do a ton of celebrations is because the music you're making is still beyond relevant and important and freaking good.
1: Thank you, sir. Yeah,
0: that. of of course. What were your early goals of the band back in 2000 or 99, 2001? I guess I can only speak for me. Like, I really, I knew I loved music.
1: You know what I mean? I look back and I realize now that I was like, meant to keep pursuing music but it's pursuing music seems such like such a indulgent thing to do yeah at, at least it did <laughs> to me at that point in my life it was like well yeah of course like why should pursue music or skateboarding or playing video games or whatever it is that you're into like it didn't seem like a reality it just seemed like it was like something that I couldn't stop doing and so I realized now like I was far more serious about it than I even gave myself credit for I was spending you know six to eight hours a day like just playing music and, and or watching bands and listening to music and and playing guitar and kind of honing my songwriting skills and um and so when the band started it, i knew that i finally was in a group of people that were serious about playing shows um and making the band a priority and that was the first time in my life i was with like a group of guys that like this band is the priority and so i knew that we would at least be giving it a serious stab you know a stab in the dark to kind of see what we what we could do uh but the idea that it would become like a viable you know a uh, reality and like the occupation like that didn't even hit me until like five years later probably I mean it was like only when we were finally getting signed and you know I was quitting my job and thinking whoa like I'm like I remember filling out uh like a um a form to get back in the country you know like one of those things and I was like act, like occupation right. right yeah I think up until that point I just written student or whatever you know? yeah yeah and I was no longer a student. So I was like, wait, I'm not a student. Wait, what am I? You know, and I'm like, I'm literally, I'm writing the word like musician. And I was like, wait, am I a musician? Like,
0: is this happening? You know, it was like one of those moments. Um, just for my own mind and like, we've had many chats over the years that I'm super grateful for, but did you finish college at Northeastern Illinois? Did you fully Ooh. finish or was the band starting to happen? And you're like, oh my God, this is too exciting. I got, I got to get the hell out of here. Well, you've hit a nerve
1: here, striker. Oh, sorry, man. So I apologize for the segue we're about to get into. Um, I didn't finish school, but I just started doing it again. You did? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> During COVID, well, I'll, I'll rewind. I was a junior at Northeastern Illinois, so you've done your research. Um, and I was good. I would have been going into my senior year, and that's when we got signed to Fat Records, and so we needed to be. In the studio making a record and that's when i dropped out of college because we had a contract <laughs> to like to like do this and so but i always told myself you know i'm leaving behind like three years of school one day i'll come back and pick this up you know I got, like a basketball I, I like player to- or
0: a college football player athlete sometimes they go back after the you know during or after a career it felt like unfinished business it felt hmm. like it felt like 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 if you
1: you, you were like built a cabin out somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And then you left it one day and you just thought about it the whole time. Like, why don't I just finish that thing? It's just sitting there, you know, and I left behind a bunch of credits and I enjoyed school, you know, and so during COVID, when we couldn't do anything, I, I felt the need to keep, stay busy, but we had just made a record. So I wasn't like trying to make another record and
0: nowhere just, generation,
1: right? We made nowhere generation. Um, and I was excited and we were still, it was still under wraps at that point. We're trying to figure out like everybody else was like how to put it out. And at that point I signed back up for like, uh, a full load of classes.
0: Okay. Hold on uh, to get back into the university. Did you have to uh, like go online and apply or did you make a phone call? How did that work?
1: So I had to go online and apply (laughs) and talk to some people. And I mean, and I'll be honest. So I've been, this is my third semester. I've been doing it now. And nobody over there knows who I am just like in terms of like what I do professionally. Right. Like I've talked to people and it hasn't really come up and I'm not really the kind of guy who's going to walk in and be like, don't you know who I am? You know? So it honestly, you'd be surprised people, you know, I'm just a student over there. You know, I talk to counselors and my classes, I have, I've not, I've not been in person uh, for any of it. So it's been over zoom calls and.
0: But the zoom calls it's a, there's other, what, I mean what 20 30 other students right or at least yeah so far only one of them has recognized me um
1: (laughs) (laughs) and then and we were i was talking to him because you know on a zoom call you can do like you can chat on the side or whatever yeah so he kind of it was one day actually he um what class uh, oh it was a philosophy class okay (laughs) and i'd already been in it for a few weeks and he was doing a call just like we are and he had a bookshelf behind him and he had books and records And then one day he had a record turned sideways so you could see the whole cover. and It was a rise against record, you know? And so I was like, is this a coincidence? Like, am I thinking about this too much, you know? And then he, and then I was like, okay, I'm just going to message him and be like, Hey dude, I I like your record, you know, whatever. And he was like, thanks. Like it's like this album's anniversary today. And I was like, Oh, but he, but he didn't say anything else. So I was like, Oh I'm I'm overthinking this. He just has a rise against album. up. He doesn't know who I am. Right. And then I waited like a beat, I didn't know what to say. And finally he wrote back like in like a flurry of texts like, <laughs> "Okay, dude, I thought it was you. I wasn't sure. It was like weird." And I was like, "Oh, dude, it's totally cool." So. Wow. Uh, and then actually I met him in person at a record signing. Like um when we when the album came out, we went to a record store and he and he's like, "Hey, I'm in your, class. uh, your classmate from philosophy." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, crazy."
0: <laughs> wow oh and so do you have are you getting straight a's now at this point or is it a little more difficult than you thought oh
1: my god striker oh i don't know how much you want to talk about this but i'm in math right now and i have a final exam tomorrow night oh shit (laughs) so i never did math back in the day if i (laughs) if i could leave anybody listening to this with any advice yes just just do math man like do it the second you get out of high school, you know, do it your freshman year. Do it while it's still in your brain, because once you're 43, or I don't, I think it's how old I am, uh, then it's all just kind of blurry. And it's more, honestly, it's more to, been one of the most difficult
0: semesters and last few months of my life getting through statistics and probability. I'll be so happy. What's done? My cheeks are hurting right now from smiling with excitement and hearing these stories. I hope you like this is frickin aw- do you have a protractor or a compass or a calculator or do you have to do you get to use your laptop? Well, here's the thing. I got all those things.
1: And then I realized that the world changed a lot in the last 20 years. And, uh, it's all on the Internet. So
0: you're the Billy well, Madison,
1: right? right. Uh, oh, my God. I mean, it's funny because last time I was in school was like pretty much pre Internet, you know. And the internet existed, but it was not a helpful resource in like 1998, you know, it was like a really slow moving. Yeah, nothing was on it, you know. And now I'm like, Oh, like, you know, things like research are easier, things like citations are easier, writing papers, it's all a little bit easier. You still, you can't just Google stuff and pull it off of, you know, and I'm saying things I'm sure all your listeners already know, because they probably all went to school. But like, you have to go through, you have to get stuff from like peer reviewed sources from libraries and that kind of thing. But that physical trip to the library doesn't always need to happen. Those, that stack of books that you're bringing home yeah, and then, and then sorting through it, that doesn't need to happen. So there, in some ways, like the process has become like way, way easier. So, and it's been a rewarding process for me. It's been something Great. to keep me, keep my brain going and keep me stimulated. I've learned a lot. It's been helpful as we, like we navigate the crazy time that we live in. You know what I mean? To be, immersed in like sociology and philosophy classes you get a sense of like you're talking about like, sort of like the nuts and bolts of humanity and it kind of makes you feel a bit better about the the moments of chaos that you're in at this moment and you realize oh we've been there before we've gotten through this we've seen through this you know like there's there are so many good things that are still happening you know that there's civilization is still here we're not just cavemen trying to kill each other for food you know there's like there's still um i took a lot of comfort in being in those classes you know, during like the election and stuff like that.
0: Has it made you look at your, uh, at your own life or your own habits or wherever you live a little bit differently by being surrounded by, even though it's through zoom, a bunch of probably like 19 to 26 year olds.
1: Yeah. <laughs> cause you know, it's funny cause I have a 17 year old and she's going to college next year, you know? And so like, it's funny. Cause I was like, I hope I'm not in a class with like one of your friends, <laughs> you know, like this would be really, <laughs> and like I said, I've, I've yet to have to go to physically in person too. Um, but yeah, like I think being like a fly in the wall for some really interesting discussions. Cause I was in, I was in like a political science class and a philosophy and a sociology class. So that can be some pretty interesting discussions. And I'm usually just talking to people my own age about that stuff. It's rare that I pop into like a coffee shop full of 20 year olds and, <laughs> you know, we hang out and so it was interesting being a fly on the wall to see um and kind of take the temperature of what people living now are experiencing and like how they see it and how they view it and what is important to them and what's not important to them that was i felt like really grateful for that opportunity because that's kind of what i do in this band like we have fans of all ages but I will say to like my front rows have been 16 years old for the last 20 years, <laughs> hmm. you know? Yeah. And so we're sort of like, we we have that proximity to youth culture. And so I'm always trying to tap into the fears and anxieties and hopes of, of young people
0: today. That's so cool, man. And kudos to you for doing this. It sounds, uh, do you know how long, many more courses you have to take and then we're going to move it, on to music stuff.
1: <laughs> it depends on how much I really, Want to do. I was doing full load like during COVID, but now I'm back to having to do a lot of band stuff. So I had to dial it down. So okay. if I if I can, if I if the band stays really busy, it'd still be a couple of years before I actually cross the finish line. And if like we went into our full lockdown, I could probably knock it out in a semester and a half.
0: And will you go through the graduation ceremony with a cap and gown? <laughs> I want to hand you flowers when you're done. I want to be there. <laughs> I haven't even thought about it that far. <laughs> OK, Hey, how'd you meet Fat Mike? um from no effects all those years ago and then that led to him signing you guys yeah so that was pretty lucky um
1: G, uh, my bass player joe uh his band prior to rise against was a band called 88 fingers louis yep yeah, people, yeah, yeah. people might people might know of um they were a pop punk band from chicago but one of the few chicago bands that actually had like national international success they toured they had albums out on hopeless and i, I think it was a was records a, yes Right, and then they had a 7-inch on Fat, I think. I think Joe told me that Mike said he would do a 7-inch, but not a full album. But anyway, that's how Joe knew Mike, and that's how how Mike knew of Joe. And so when Joe's band disintegrated and we started Rise Against, naturally Joe just kind of let Hopeless know what we were doing. He let Fat Records know what we were doing. Um, I think it was Nitro Records we were talking to at the time. He just kind of sending out demos like you do as a band. You make a demo, and you just send it out, you know? And, um, and we got lucky because Joe had that pedigree. So he had a couple of those contacts. And then Mike, I remember he passed on it right away. Like he, like, he's like, it's good, but I'm not going to sign it. And we're like, okay. You know, it was a long shot anyway, you know? And then we kept talking to like other labels. And then he came back like months later and he goes, wait, wait, have you guys signed anybody yet? And we're like, no, like we're kind of about to though. He's like, wait, I like it. I want to put it out. And then next thing you know, that kind of changed our lives. You know, having your debut album come out on Fat Records in like 2001, that, that was
0: a big, big deal. Right, because if anybody that follows No Effects or Fat Records sees that an artist is signed to that label, it's, it's instant credibility for the artist that just got signed. And
1: Absolutely. it's like, I need
0: to investigate who these dudes are. Who is this rise mm-hmm. against? Where, what are these songs? yes
1: it was like a it was a massive almost like shortcut for us too like it was just like to get have this album coming out on this label we didn't even have a show under our belts at that point no we we were and that was like a a longer story about just having like we had problems with like getting a drummer that was working with the band and so we had a lot of downtime Yep, that we were just we weren't a full band but we had this demo floating around just waiting to like Get get a drummer, and so we were like, "Wait, now we're signed, and we haven't played a live show. What's (laughs) happening?" So, like, we worked hard, but we got very lucky at the same time, and then we got so lucky to be a part of the Fat Records family, like you said, was a big, big deal in the punk world, especially twenty years ago, to be accepted into that family. That's how we spent the next five or six years opening up for Strung Out, opening up for the Mad Caddies, opening up for Sick of It All, opening up for No Effects. You know what I mean? That family took us in, Mike took us in. He told no use for a name about us, told everybody about us. And then next thing you know, like we were part of that family. And it was like, that's, that's why we're here today. I would say, cause like we had that, that network and that family vibe. And we did two albums with fat before the majors came
0: calling. Did you, I don't know the way you tick mentally when fat Mike was like, yep, come on board. You're going to start doing these shows. Did you question are are you personally ready for this? Wait a minute, hold on. What the hell's going on here? Or were you maybe going the other way? It's like, f yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. Come on. Oh, I I definitely
1: always had like a pretty naive bravado uh, even back then. <laughs> like I was just I could I could leap before I look into a lot of situations. You know what I mean? Um, but that question that you just asked, like, are you ready? Mike asked that to me to my face. Wow. When he met when he met me. Wow. You know we had. He had just signed us. He was out on warp Tour. The closest date was Detroit. So Joe, me and Joe drove out to Detroit to, to I was going to meet Mike and we were going to watch the band and everything. Took us right back to his bus and he kind of saw me. And then I'm, I'm four or five years younger than Joe too. And so I was all of 21 years old, probably at that point. And I think he didn't realize that either. And so he saw me and he was like, who, you're, you're the singer? And I'm like, yeah. He was like, have you toured before? You know? And I was like, outside of Midwest weekends and college towns with my high school band, like, not really, no. He's like, are you ready for this? And I was like, I have no idea if I'm ready for this. Are you kidding me? Like I I had no
0: clue. And so, you know, it was all uh baptism by fire. Hmm. After siren song of the counterculture did well, Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about commercially, like, I'm sorry, revolutions per minute after that came out and it, had a following. I mean, that's not necessarily every song was on the radio or anything, but then I think it was Geffen came calling. Was that tough? Was that like uh, big discussions within the band, like leaving Fat Records and taking this next jump? Or is that the logical thing for all bands that that's the way you should do it? Um,
1: It was a little bit of both. And it's funny because I was just part of this book called Sellout where um, Uh. an author named Dan Ozzy, he documents this time of punk and emo and hardcore um when bands like jimmy world afi at the drive-in yeah you know uh, all those bands from our world taking back sunday thursday we're all getting signed and he does a great document so if people want to know more about that era it's really uh, insightful but so we were definitely part of that era of bands that were getting approached by major labels and fat very much felt like a family to us so like the idea of leaving it seemed really scary you know and just as fans of music we know all the horror stories you know what i mean we know all the things where where major labels go terribly wrong for bands and um all the all of the you know anecdotes about having to go back and write radio singles or, or do this yeah. or, or the people who want to mold you and so we were hesitant about all that stuff but we were also pretty bold in moving forward and saying like if there's something out there for us that makes sense like we would like to take what we do our music and our message and have somebody hand us a bigger bullhorn you know where more people can hear it because i feel like there's some potential here and fat fat also believed that there was potential when they got revolutions per minute that was the like one of the first times they were like pushing songs to the radio with like songs like like the angel or heaven knows we were on like the tony hawk pro skater game, yes. which was like <laughs> huge at that point, you know, right. like that was a career. If you had a song on Tony Hawk, it was career changing. Even Brett Gurs from Bad Religion was like, that was a game changer for them being in that yeah. video game. Totally. I That's so, it's so crazy. And like that video game was crazy years later when Guitar Hero came out, like people forget it was a big deal at the time and having a song on it, like was a big deal, especially to younger people who weren't quite listening to radio yet. Maybe so like, that's how they got new music. So yeah, there are a few things like a few breaks like that where your song gets out there and all of a sudden it's really connecting with people. But we made the jump to a major with Fat Mike's Blessing.
0: Oh, that's so Um, good. That's so cool to hear. I have heard other stories from artists who will remain nameless who mm -hmm. said, listen, the major labels get such a bad rap and the indies get all this credit, but sometimes people don't know. It's the indies that will really stick it to you when you want to leave them and go to a major and so fat mike giving you his blessing that's kind of that's very cool to hear it was
1: cool and like and he was clear he was like he didn't he didn't give every band that, that left him with his blessing because i think he really cared about people and so he had a gut instinct about whether it was a good idea or not and for some bands he was like i don't think that's a good idea i think honestly like i love you guys i want you guys to get big but i don't think it's a good idea and then for us, he was like, I think it makes sense for you. you know." And I think if you asked him this day, he said, I think we're one of the few bands that it made sense and, and worked out for. And honestly, like in my head, I thought we'll do an album on a major and like most of my favorite bands, it will fail miserably and commercially. <laughs> and then we will beg Fat Mike <laughs> to take us back and we'll hopefully stay on the fat roster forever. And we'll always talk about that one major label record that we did, you know. And that one video that we did, and that one time we were in a fancy studio, and I just figured that would be our story. But even knowing and almost anticipating that being our story, we still wanted to like take advantage of this opportunity in front of us. And when we met DreamWorks, who had just signed Jimmy World, Sparta, AFI, a lot of people from our world, yep. we yeah. met a label that we thought like could really... We were able to kind of spread our wings and exist, and they weren't trying to mold us or do anything to us they just wanted us they just wanted to you know help us do what we
0: were doing that's awesome that's what we did so cool and we signed
1: five we signed a five record deal Woo!
0: and we did all five albums and all five from my memory went top 10 debuted a top uh, 10 i mean they all had unbelievable songs of course and i don't know if you care humans care about the chart but i think that's pretty effing cool that five in a row number 10, then one's number three, one's number two, one's number... Like, people give a damn about you guys record after record after record. It was really
1: rewarding because you saw bands come and go. I mean, we signed DreamWorks, which got folded into Universal and Geffen and all those things. And then it went to Interscope or something, right? Interscope, yeah. So we were under, like, Jimmy Iovine for a while there, too. But in those... And it was... We did five records in about like, say, 15 years, maybe. And we were the last ones in the building that were still there from day one. I mean, nobody was there from when we signed, you know, and it felt rewarding to do all five. And, you know, and, and it's like we had a good relationship with the label. Like we were allowed to just write songs and do what we do and just put records out. We had a, a badass manager, Missy Worth, who got us through all of it. Um, we had a, a great team around us we never submitted a demo before we spent the label's money <laughs> we like ever nobody ever asked for it we never really offered it either it was like this like this is the record take it or leave it oh no way yeah it was never it was never like what do you think or what would you change or should give we me do your different? notes on this <laughs> yes it was always here's the finished product and the bill
0: <laughs> go pay the man. <laughs> you know? Wow.
1: That's amazing.
0: Out. Yeah. That's really, really cool, man.
1: Um, yeah, you know, I, I tell that story because it's like not one of the stories you hear in this business or this industry. Um, and it's not, it's not even a blanket defense or approval of labels or every label, or even our label. You know what I mean? I'm just like, I can only tell you our experience. Right that we had. And it was, uh, it was, and has been, and still is like a pretty positive
0: experience with people who care about music that just wanted to get out there. Um, something that I think about a lot and I have no theory on it. I have not written a paper on it, but some of the bands that did really, really well between I'm going to use a time frame like 98 to 2007. And I heard some of their songs and I thought, man, these guys are going to be around as I get older. I'm going to go to their shows when I'm 40, 50, and 60. And then I don't know why it just didn't continue to happen for them. Mm -hmm. Do you ever, do you have any theories? Like how come some bands continue to it's, is it just the songs and the performances or is there something else? Why it just stopped happening for certain artists? Yeah. I mean, that's like, a favorite pastime for guys like you and me right you sit
1: down and just try to figure out like why isn't this band the biggest yes band on the planet you know and i feel like there are so many reasons like you said that yes there's songs there's maybe like more of like the cultural zeitgeist you know and they were no longer a part of it maybe they were trying something that was just not something that resonated with their fans you know whatever inner turmoil takes out a lot of bands mm. <laughs> you know like and it's and, and the inner turmoil comes out maybe not even like in a like a fight that breaks them up but it comes out in like the songwriting maybe it comes out in the decisions they make you know because they can't make decisions you know and all of a sudden the things just kind of grind to a, a halt. I like to think of it as like the, the one of the big reasons is sometimes it's just not the band's fault at all you know like like just like like I think Rise Against works hard and we write songs and and we're all we are all focused on that we care about the art and that's kind of like. of the of the game. That's kind of like building a sailboat and putting it on the water. Like that's a lot of work to do. But in the end, you're just waiting for the wind. Right? Mm, Yeah. Because without it, it doesn't matter how hard you work, you're waiting for that wind. And for some of us, that wind came. You know what I mean? And it was like, I'm so glad we built this boat and we put it out here. We worked so hard because if we weren't out here when the wind came, we wouldn't be going anywhere, you know? And then Sometimes the wind stops for people, you know what I mean? And I think that that wind is like that's just culture. That's just people what they love, what they don't love. It's shifting, it's it's not something anybody can predict really, you know? And so just like that wind might make you famous one day, like that same wind not your fault might kind of just sink your ships.
0: That being said, as you've gotten a little bit older, but you continue to put out records every two to every three years, and Nowhere Generation came out, I believe, in June, um, and it did well, and songs in the radio and charting and all that. Do you do that like late night by yourself? Whew, wow, people still are listening? Or is that not part of how you operate mentally?
1: Oh, absolutely. I do that. Because, oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so many of our Ugh. peers, you know what I mean? So many of our peers are no longer like, there with us anymore some of the bands that we started with and so you keep thinking that like their number came up and then your number must be next you know and so I feel like especially in between albums you put out an album and you work your ass off on it and you work hard to promote it and get out there and play the play the songs live and connect with people, and it works and then you kind of go away for a minute to like create your next chapter of your band yeah. and you, but you're always wondering in the back of your head, like, are people still going to be there listening when we get back? Mm. You know, like I feel like your band sometimes at least like a rock band like us. It's like a, it's almost like an old classic muscle car that's been sitting in your driveway for a while. And you, you put the key in and you just listen, is it going to turn over? <laughs> is it still going to be there? You know? And so every time it does, you know, just like it would be, if you had an old car, it's kind of a surprise. Like, Oh my God, it actually, it started up. It's going. This is great, you know? Yeah. So every record feels like that. Like when you make it when people like it, it's like, oh, this is great. Like the car's running and people still like it. This is
0: awesome. You just recently also put out the um, the Nowhere Sessions and you covered yeah. a Misfits song, right? And then a Creedence <laughs> yeah. Clearwater revival song. One of the yeah. last shows I went to before the pandemic, and it was months and months before the pandemic. It was you. Guys, it was Rise Against and the original original lineup of the Misfits at the Bank of California Stadium in L.A. Oh, yeah. Tim, yeah,
1: right. That, that would have been one of our last shows we played.
0: That show pandemic. was so good, dude. <laughs> oh, what a cool show! Oh my God! Yeah. Do you know Glenn? well or like are you guys hang out and have coffee and pet cats like what do you do? You have a relationship with him slash (laughs) them
1: no i can't say that i do but we were super excited to be a part of that show in fact we were off the clock we were working on the album we're supposed to be focusing we were saying no to every opportunity to offer that came our way and then that one came our way and we're like oh man like how do you how do you pass that up (laughs) you know um and so that was i mean. It's so cool to play with the misfits, you know, one of like the Mount Rushmore's of punk rock and so cool to play for their fans. You know what I mean? To play for Los Angeles, California, misfits fans to be out there in in front of them and to get to kind of share that evening. You know, I think it was distillers. Right. And nowhere league. So many cool bands like it. it, uh, That was such a cool night
0: for sure. Um, Hybrid moment is the song. Why'd you decide to cover of all their songs? That particular misfit song.
1: Well, the funny part about the nowhere sessions and those covers is like the the dirty little secret is that we're always playing those songs at sound checks, and sometimes people are recording and sometimes they're not. <laughs> and so like that one we were we had done we'd played it a bunch, um, just for fun. And we were doing the nowhere sessions, which was which is essentially Rise Against recording live versions of some of our new songs and some old songs. And the day was wrapping up and like and it was our last day in this little studio that we've been working in. And we were finishing sort of early and somebody was just sort of like, well, we have another hour to kill. Do you guys want to do anything else? You know, the cameras are here. It's all plugged in. We can just wrap up now and I'll go home earlier. Or if there's anything else you guys want to do. And we're like, well, when we have extra time, we just play punk covers pretty much. So that's what we started doing. And we played the misfits thing and we played CCR and I didn't even know if we were even still recording you know, we were just having fun. I was like trying to remember all the lyrics. We hadn't rehearsed it, you know, what? and so it's no. And so it's, so it's funny that oh. like it was documented and it becomes a thing that like we're talking about. Cause it was such an afterthought that day. It was not a plan. It was more like uh all right, you guys got an hour. What do you want to do? And it's like, all right. And someone's like one, two, three,
0: four, you know, next thing you know, we're into it. Is the fortunate sun cover your cover, your is the original longer than two minutes, or yours? Are you guys just condensed it and played it super fast? That's a great question. Actually, <laughs> I
1: mean, here's the other thing about Rise Against playing covers: <laughs> is we mostly play the version that we remember in our head and we agree on. <laughs> and so, uh, it, if it was held under the microscope, it may not be the, the version. But we've now just kind of committed to it. And and I'm like I said, it's always been so casual. You know, like we've always. We always do it in a pretty casual setting we've never i don't think any of us anticipated the, what we were doing was now going to come out like on a a whole ep and that kind of thing but we definitely played it faster for sure than so, ccr so, plays yes, it yeah
0: it's and re- really good
1: thank you yeah i was like and what's funny about ccr is that we used to do that like you know you started this whole interview talking about the unraveling we used to do that song on the unraveling tours you know like that's how long we've kind of been playing that song i don't know it just kind of snuck into like somebody mentioned it one day and, and then we just played it back in a day so it's like it's a weird throwback for us to even go back to it to remember those opening shows when no one knew your band and so sometimes you
0: threw in a cover just to get people to pay attention to you right um whether it's uh the sufferer and the witness or appeal to reason or end game whatever it is mm-hmm. do you care if someone says holy shit rise against just made the greatest album of their career and it's a the best album of the year and or if someone says uh oh, rise against is not living up to what they did four years like do you even look at that or care about that stuff
1: no I mean I don't
0: care about the stuff I think it's totally
1: natural I think it's like the age you are the way you find a band there's no way you're gonna care about a record that you've heard at 16 than the record that you heard at like 25 or like 30 like there's no secret. Like we all love the albums that we discovered in our adolescence. You know what I mean? And so those are the albums that are going to connect with you and your connection with them has so much more to do than just with me and the lyrics and the song It has to do with like who you were in a car with that day, like who you went out to go like skateboarding with that day, like the girl or the boy you were dating at the time, like your memories are all sort of bundled up in that album, which like we have no control over. You know what I mean? So like, It's like when you say this is my favorite album or this is my favorite album or this is like, I don't I don't really care like which gateway drug got you into rise against. (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, like I care, but like I find your experience is totally valid and meaningful, you know, and all we want to do is just still be there as the incoming class of freshman punk rockers come in, you know, and then they can decide which one is
0: their is their cup of tea. Were there some bands other than say a fat Mike and maybe it's not even him where you opened up for them and they treated you a certain way that inspired you to treat bands a certain way, whether they were super cool to you or told you "Uh, there's four dressing rooms here. There's four band members in the opening band. You guys have to do everything in your van or bus.
1: <laughs> that's a great, that's a great question. And like, and I think that, yeah, you hit on something important too, because the band that you become or has a lot to do with, your introduction into the industry, mm. you know, and we were very lucky to come in under the guidance of I I I think a couple of seminal tours, Rise Against opening for Sick of It All in Europe, which was our first European tour, which was probably 2002. We shared a bus with Sick of It All. We did like five weeks and like squats in like Europe with these you know these four New York City alleyway crew hardcore legends, right? Uh, so it was intimidating, you know, to walk out there and like, we were we were kids, you know, they were, didn't know us, you know. But anyway, the way that they behaved and maintained their band was with such like respect and integrity. And they treated us with respect and integrity. And the people around them also like mirrored that. Um, y- y- We were all there just taking notes. We were all there just on the sidelines like, mm. oh, this is how you tour. This is what it is to be cool to people and be nice to people. And um, but at the same time, stand up for yourself if you're getting screwed, you know, and that kind of thing. But, but there's a way to do that. And so that played a huge role in uh, in how we would go on. The fat Mike was always super cool to us. NoFX was always super cool to us. Oh, the whole Fat family, you know, like there were just, you treated opening bands with respect. And we were an opening band for so long, so long. Like there was a long time before we actually headlined. And so we got to open up for a lot of different bands. And, and each one you realized like, Oh, like if we ever were in their position, this is the way it's done right and this is the way it's done wrong. Yeah. I know you're from the Midwest.
0: Mm-hmm. I feel like you're an LA band based on how much we have loved Rise <laughs> Against from so early on. Do you and the guys feel that way? Not that you're from here, but have you felt the right. love from specifically Los Angeles?
1: Oh, yeah. We feel very at home, like on the West Coast, like in general, you know, and I think about that, like even back to the van days driving like the van from like the Midwest out to California to play shows. And as, as you get into like, say Arizona, like all of a sudden, like, wait, I hear Pennywise on FM radio. <laughs> it's like, what's happening out here? <laughs> you know, like there's Pennywise on FM radio on the West coast. Yes. This is crazy. You know, like that would never happen in Chicago. You know, it would never happened in the Midwest. And I just remember hearing that and thinking like, this is where we belong. This is, we're, we're among friends here. These people are cut from our cloth. Oh, and so, you always felt, so cool. we always were, felt, we were mistaken for a, a Los Angeles band for a long time. We spent a lot of time there and played, and it was on the Fat Records roster and played with a lot of LA bands. And then we were also mistaken for a Canadian band for a long time, because I feel like <laughs> haphazardly, like a lot of our tours, our early tours were almost all Canadian tours. At that point in your career, you're just accepting offers, you know, like, like any chance. Uh, somebody offers a tour, like you say yes to it. And for some reason, they were like all Canadian tours. And so I feel like we we were in Canada a lot too. So I think C- Canadians
0: think that we're Canadian. And then Californians think that we're Californian. Hmm. How important is it for young bands in 2021? In and hopefully there's bands that, hopefully there are bands. Like there's three guys or girls whatever, in a room, 18 years old. To say, to to get out there and say yes to every opportunity that is presented to them to get to the place that they want to be. Do you still need to? I mean, I think that's so necessary early on. I'm not saying to compromise your art, mm-hmm. but to get out there and like, you're going to have no money. You're probably going to sleep in a horrible room and you're going to be stinking, not, not, not taking proper shower. Is that still to get to where someone wants to get to important these days? Or is there another way to do it? Man,
1: that's a great question and i feel like i'm so hesitant to give advice to young bands these days as like a a 42 year old man who Mm -hmm. started this band before social media (laughs) um but certainly if i was to give advice don't be afraid to jump uh at opportunities that come your way you know um even if they think that you're not quite ready for them you know, that's where you're going to become ready for things. That's how you're, you're going to learn like in those flames, you know, you're going to learn when, as you're forged in those flames. Um, and so I would say that for sure, but also like, like you said, um, don't be afraid to say no to stuff. that doesn't feel right. Like, don't be afraid. Cause I feel like sometimes with a band like rise against, we've defined ourselves through the things that we've said no to mm. sometimes more than the things that we've said yes to, you know? And so, Your band, your name, like your your like your self-respect, like that's at the end of the day, it's all you have. You know what I mean? And if you're gonna have a 20-year-long career, that's what your fans are gonna care about. They're not gonna care about your latest single or your SNL performance, or they're not even gonna care about if you have like a bad show because they're gonna be with you forever. You know, they're gonna care about you and your name and what you do, and they're gonna learn to trust you. And so if you can find that trust with fans, like that will take you
0: through a a long career. Nine full length studio albums in, plus a ton of other great stuff that you guys have created, um, including the nowhere sessions that we chatted about. Do you guys have the fire? I think you do that every couple of years you're going to get in the studio and you're going to give us eight to 12 new songs. That's what it feels like. I don't feel like our tank is empty. I don't think so. Not even (laughs) close, man. Not even close.
1: I think we're all, we're still trying to make the best Rise Against song, but still trying to make the best Rise Against album. The world keeps creating things to Rise Against, so we're never in uh yes. a short supply yes. of that, you know. Um and so yes, I I still yeah. I you know it's it's weird too. I feel like I feel like a renaissance with Rise Against too. I feel like I feel new and urges to do it, new and different urges to uh, keep this band going and keep connecting with people. You know, I want to be, I want to be a lighthouse that's kind of steering ships and, you know, and, and I think people, I want them to be able to rely on us that we will be on as they're, as they're coming in.
0: I love that, man. Oh God. Okay. Tim, I think we'll just, we'll wrap it right there on that note. That was a really nice, nice place to wrap it. Thanks for being so nice to me for so many years. I, I appreciate yeah,
1: it. So of course I'm super stoked. I'm stoked on your new thing too. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank yeah. you. It's good to see your face. Good to hear your voice. You as well.
0: Hope to see the a show soon and all that good stuff. I will see you the next time you're playing LA. I promise I will be there. And again, the way you have um, carried yourself, as a professional and personally in front of so many eyeballs over so many years and the way you use your platform while creating all these songs, doing it and the mix of it is just so admirable. And that's why you're still here. And that's why zillions of people care. So congrats. And thank you again. I'll see you soon, Tim. Thank you, Striker. I appreciate that. You got it, man. Okay. See cool, you later. Man. All right. Yep. Have a good one. Okay. You too. Bye.
1: That's another episode of Striker's Tuna on Toast. Promise it'll get better. Most likely. For sure.
0: <laughs> Maybe. Is that guy awesome or what? Jim McElrath, Rise Against. If you have never seen Rise Against play, first of all, I don't know how that's possible. But if you haven't, when they come to a town or city that you live in or it's near you, put them on the list. Go watch them play. It's a great show. And another episode of Tuna on Toast is in the books. Don't forget, you can watch all these episodes on YouTube. They're all up there. All the episodes. Tune on Toast with Striker. I'm easy to find on Twitter and Instagram as well. Thanks again for the support. Have a great rest of your day or night. Until the next time, happy snuggles. Bye bye.